You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Also from Romans 3.23, I have sinned, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of the Lord. We're going to be praying for a missionary family that we support here at Meadowbrook. They work for CREW, which is a student ministry organization in Indiana. Their names are Stephen and Kelsey Haddenhorst. So let's pray. Lord, we just lift up uh, Steve and Kelsey, their family, and ask for your uh, wisdom and insight as they prepare for the year uh, to work with students that want to grow in Christ and to reach students who are looking for Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would guide them, help them to be creative, innovative, and to think out of the box um, with all that's going on with uh, COVID. And so just please guide them and, uh, and just draw the students to them that want to know you, that want to grow in their faith. And just help them to be amazing mentors and uh, to love on these students. And I pray that you would bless them as a family. Uh, they are adjusting to being a family of four. And so just protect them, uh, strengthen their marriage, uh, give them wisdom and guidance as they parent. And uh, God, we just thank you so much for them, uh, provide for all their needs. And God, we ask for today that you would be honored and glorified in all that we say and do, and uh, that your name would be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, go ahead and grab a seat. Good morning. Welcome to Meadowbrook. That's me, larger than life. It's just kind of scary to see that sometimes for me. I don't know about you, but... Um, Well, I'm glad you are here to join us this morning. If you're online, welcome. Glad you are here if you're in the room uh, as well. If you're here looking to see uh, Keith, he and his family are headed towards Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons for some vacation time. So I don't know if you're blessed or stuck, but I'm Dan Nelson and I'm your guest speaker. Uh, I'm excited about our time this morning because of all things, you are here on a morning that we are going to mix religion and politics. So strap in, it's going to be a ride. Uh, most of you probably know me. Uh, I've been around Meadowbrook for probably eight years, but if you don't, um, my name is Dan Nelson, been around here for about eight years. Uh, right now, I am the quarter-time executive pastor, and the rest of the time, I have a bookkeeping business that keeps me busy. Uh, I have one wife, three daughters, two sons-in-law, and one grandchild, so that makes for kind of an exciting life. Uh, and it's all good, and I'm glad to be here. A uh, quick announcement for you is if you like coffee, anybody here like coffee? Coffee drinkers? Yes? If you go to Dawes Bog, which is over there, uh, after the service, you, and tell them you're from Meadowbrook, you will, they will give you a free cup of coffee, whatever size you want. 
Uh, if you tell them Dan Nelson sent you, they'll give you mine because I do not drink coffee. So you can have double stuff on that. So as soon as service is over, you can head over there. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I know it is on for today. Um, if you choose to give, uh, we're not passing the bag or the plate or anything, so there's a box by the door in back, and you can drop your check or cash or whatever you want in there. Uh, if you have a prayer request, there are cards in the back of the chairs in front of you, and you can write that down and put that in the box also. And as a staff, we pray every week for whatever you drop in there. Uh, if you're online and want to give that way, uh, go to our website, meadowbrook.org, and click on the Give tab. It's up and to the right, and there's clear instructions there. So um, let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll jump into it. Lord, we thank you that you are with us today, that your spirit is present. Uh, God, thank you that um, it's not just about us. We're, we're not the remnants. There are our brothers and sisters literally all over the world who <coughs> are worshiping you or have or will worship you today, and uh, they want to know you better, and we want to, to serve you better. And so, God, I pray that um, your spirit would, would impinge on us, that we would open ourselves to you and let you speak to us and guide us and direct us and change us and uh, correct us and encourage us, whatever it is that we need, that, that when we go out of our places of worship, wherever that might be, that we would be your light in this world and the people would look at us and they'd say, something's different about that person and that it, we would have maybe the chance to say, well, it's because of Jesus and so God, speak through me this morning and filter my words um, and, uh, and change us, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but over the past five months or so, it's been kind of a crazy world. And I spent way too much time looking at my phone in general and at Facebook in particular. Anybody else want to confess your sin on that? Yeah, a few of us. Um, and, and when you read Facebook, you see memes, right? And there are bazillions of them out there about all kinds of things, and, and in particular about all that's going on with the COVID-19 stuff. And so I want to share uh, a meme with you this morning. My disclaimer is the, the content of this meme does not necessarily re represent the views of Meadowbrook Church or its elders or its membership. I just thought it was funny, and it made me laugh. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you will totally get this. But if you're not, I think you'll figure it out. You know, time traveling to the year 2020, five minutes later, <laughs> nope, 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 bad idea. It's kind of a crazy world, isn't it? I mean, that, that's it. And then I saw this pithy statement this, this last week that I think really hits it. It says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Know anybody like that? Yeah? Do we have, well, I won't have, I was going to say, do we have anybody like that? But I need to put my hand down. But that's, that's our world, isn't it? It doesn't matter where you read or watch or listen. Someone is airing their opinion, and they are trying to sound like an expert, and they want to convince you to see the error of your ways and to come over to their side, right? My friends who were, what, constitutional scholars last month? Well, they're infectious disease experts this month, right? Know anybody like that? I mean, depending where you get your news and who you want to believe, either, and this is, I'm playing, you know, the extremes, but either 
Donald Trump and the Republicans are the saviors of the universe. Everything that's going right is because of them, and everything that's going wrong is because of the Democrats, and we just want to get them out of everywhere, or flip it, and the Democrats, they want to get in there and fix everything that the Republicans have done wrong because the Democrats know how to do it all right. Right? You've heard this. And pick any topic you want to pick. I don't care what it is. Politics, religion, tiddlywinks. Group A is going to come in and they're going to say, well, here's the problem, here's the solution, and here's the science to back it up. And tomorrow, I guarantee you, Group B is going to come in and say, ah, oh, no, Group A doesn't know what they're talking about. They're biased. They're stupid. It's wrong. That's the problem, truly. And that is the solution to it. And right here is the correct science that you want to believe. Don't listen to them. Listen to us. Ever heard that? Notice that? I've seen that. I mean, it can be really confusing. But, but I've just, and this is just me, but when I get confused and, and I want to get down to the real, unbiased, unvarnished truth, I turn to my Bible. Because if you can't trust Facebook, who can you trust? Right? Well, I wanted to list some things. I got to thinking about it. I said, what are some things that divide us as Christians, as followers of Jesus? What comes between us? And maybe you could identify with a few of them, and maybe you are a few of them. I don't know. You decide. But some Christians will tell you that drums and electric guitars and rock and roll music, they're of the devil, and they have no place in the church because if the organ was good enough for Jesus, it ought to be good enough for us, right? And then you've got other Christians who say, wait a minute, why should the devil have all the good music? Larry Norman, anyone? Yes, anyway. You realize that entire denominations exist because of our disagreements over predestination and free will, because of our disagreements over tongues and the charismatic gifts, because of our differences over baptism, because of our disagreements over in the inerrancy, inspiration, and infallibility of Scripture, because of our differences over church government and the place of women in ministry, and the list can go on. Entire denominations because of this. Here, I want to offer you some trigger words that will... They got the other two services a little anxious that divide us. Black lives matter. Blue lives matter. All lives matter. Systemic racism. White privilege. Man, people, well, you can feel it a little bit, right? I mean, it gets you going wherever you're at. I know Christians who think that Donald Trump is the fourth member of the Trinity, and they are convinced that Jesus calls him twice a day at least to ask for advice. And, there are, and I know people like that, kid you not. And I know other Christians who will tell you President Trump is, is competing with Satan to be the most evil, despicable being in the universe. Some Christians will tell you guns are instruments of the devil and of evil and they cause far more harm than good and they should be collected, outlawed, and destroyed. And other Christians will say, wait a minute, it's my God-given right to carry a gun. Some Christians will tell you abortion is a woman's right to choose and the government should just butt out on trying to tell me, a woman, how I should, what I should do with my body. And other Christians will say, hey, wait a minute, abortion is just murder, plain and simple. 
Some Christians will tell you, COVID-19, ah, no big deal. We're making a mountain out of a mohill, and Jesus is going to protect us anyway. And other Christians will say, wait a minute, this COVID-19 thing is far more deadly than the Spanish flu ever was, and we need to shut this country down until we can get everybody vaccinated. I saw a video last week that, that just illustrated this to me totally. Uh, these two comedians went down to Huntington Beach in California, and they had a box of masks, you know, and, and they were just walking around saying, hey, free masks, anybody want a free mask? And, and I totally understand that this video was edited, okay? And so they could share their opinion and influence it. But it was just funny because uh, some people, and they're not getting in your face. They're just saying, hey, and free mask. Would you like a free mask? One, one guy, uh, or couple, excuse me, just looked at him and said, no, thank you. And very polite, very fine. Another couple said, uh, no, thank you. Uh, can we tell you about Jesus? Another guy just kind of gave him a dirty look and got up and walked away in silence. And then one guy walked away from them, backing away from him, cursing at them. It was just like, wow, loud and crude and rude swear words. And here's the thing. In the midst of all of this, there are Christians who are on opposite sides of all these issues and more who gather in the same room on Sunday morning to worship together. And I want you to think about this for a second. Whatever position you hold on any of these issues, look around this room and ask yourself, does everybody here agree with me? And I can answer that for you. <laughs> nope, they don't. I guarantee you, they don't. But when I see how we, as Jesus followers, come against each other, I mean, against each other on these issues. All kinds of stuff goes through me, thoughts and emotions. Sometimes I just want to go, seriously? You believe what? Where did you get that? That's nuts. And sometimes, sometimes I'm going to shout at people. And when they're on Facebook, I do. <laughs> and, and sometimes, I know good Christians don't do this, but sometimes I want to swear at them. And I want to smack them in the side of the head and say, what are you thinking? I get angry, and I feel helpless and powerless and frustrated. And some days I just want to go to the I'm afraid, and I'm tired. And some days I just want to go to the bank and get all my money and go to REI or wherever and buy survival gear and just go up in the mountains and just get as far away from people as I possibly can for as long as I can. I, I hardly, I mean, I confess... I spend way too much time looking through Facebook, and you will hear that as I speak this morning. But I hardly ever respond. But on the rare occasion when I do, I always offer a thoughtful, rational, biblically-based response or comment. And I am amazed at how people just say, you're an idiot. No, that's not true. This is true. You're wrong. And Wow, they are ticked. I have unfollowed some of my Facebook friends. I have unfollowed some of my family on Facebook because I get so tired of all the political, pardon me, crap that we as Christians put out there. 
Perhaps at the same time that we unfollow CNN and Fox, we should delete Facebook from our phone. And, and here's a quick aside, a question. Um, is there a way to figure out on Facebook, if you go into somebody's friends, can you tell if they've unfollowed you? Just asking for a friend. But I don't know if you can tell that or not. But, but I struggle as a Christian with how do I respond? How should I respond when we are so divided? It is easy. I can be really good at being rude and sarcastic and insulting. But as a representative of Jesus, I don't think I should be that way. And so I struggle with how do I communicate with these people who, who, who don't believe I'm right? Because <laughs> I am, right? And especially if they claim the name of Jesus, how do I listen to them? I mean, really listen. And how do I worship with them? And how do I pray for them? And how do I serve with them? And how do I serve them? When sometimes... I think they are just wrong. And they think I <laughs> am just wrong. How do I, in the midst of all of this, how do I keep from unfollowing Jesus? If you haven't already, I invite you to open your Bible up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're just going to look at three short verses there. Um, if you're using the handout Bibles, they're in ESV. That's page 977 if you use that. I'm going to use the NIV, so it's a little different, but you can still get the idea. Um, Ephesus was a major economic center, a major uh, religious center. All kinds of people passed through there. It was kind of like a modern New York or L.A. or somewhere. And so the Christians that lived there were exposed to all kinds of influences. And they came out of all kinds of lifestyles and beliefs. And so when they became followers of Jesus, they were not immediately the same and agreeing on everything. And so Paul is writing to them here, and he gives us some great advice on how to maintain our unity, how to get along with each other when they're things are so different. One of the things to be aware of is when usually when Paul writes to a church, he's writing to address uh, some specific problems that those churches are having. But in the case of the church at Ephesus, it was a pretty healthy church. And so when he writes to them here, he's challenging them to grow and stretch beyond just where they are as, as basically healthy, but to move beyond that even and, and just become stronger in their faith. When Paul writes, usually the first half or so of his letter is theology. He tells who we are and who God is and our relationship and what Jesus has done and those kinds of things. And then in the other part of the book, he says, now, in light of what I've written to you, in light of our beliefs and our faith, here's how we need to live out our lives. And he does this here in Ephesians. And so here is what Paul writes, starting in verse 1. Just a short three verses. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, when we read this, we don't see it quite so clearly in the, in the English, we assume it. But considering that we are all Greek scholars here, um, when you look at the Greek, they all start with you. The verb is, you live a life worthy. You be humble. You be gentle. It's not to somebody else. It's to, to me. And part of that means he, he's saying, you do this regardless of anybody else. I don't care what anybody else does. If they're not humble, if they're not patient, if they're not bearing with, I don't care. You be 
humble and patient. So this is, boom, commands to us from God to follow in order that we can be God's people in this world. And he starts this out with, Casey, the next one, just because I'm jumping a little bit. He says, in the Greek, because we're all scholars again, it, it starts with therefore. And you know what therefore means, right? In light of all that I've said before, because of all of these things I've spoken about in the theology section, here's what we need to do, that it just basically naturally follows. And in this case, it's because God has called us to follow him, because God has given us his Holy Spirit, because we have been saved by grace through faith, because uh, Jesus' death opened the door for the Gentiles to also be members of the family of God, Paul says, do these things. And the first one, he says, is to live a life worthy of your calling. And broadly speaking, when Scripture talks about calling, it's talking about salvation. We've, we've been called to be saved, to be God's people, to be God's children. And so Paul says, because God has called you, live up to that calling to follow Jesus at all times, in all places, in all situations, no matter what. And Paul emphasizes that because he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, and Paul understands that Jesus' death was the purchase price for Paul's life. And he says, hey, that's the same for you. I'm a prisoner, but the implication is, and other places he outright says it, but we are also prisoners of the Lord. And as his prisoner, as him as, as our master, he calls us to die to our own personal wants and our own personal opinions and to our comforts and to our preferences and to submit us ourselves to the one who bought us, to our master, who is Jesus and so live a life worthy of your calling. And he goes on and he kind of says, here's how to do that. He says, be humble, be completely humble and gentle. And, and completely means all. You, you get that? Anybody need help with that definition? Right? Completely humble to the full degree. Think of others before you think of yourself. Anybody have a problem with that? <laughs> I do. I want to think of me first. He says, don't be proud or haughty or arrogant. That's what pride means. Romans 12, 3, Paul says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. That's the pride. He says, but think of yourselves with sober judgment. That's humility. 1 Peter 5, 5, he says, be clothed in humility. Have it on you at all times. How are you doing at that? Great? Kind of struggling sometimes? And, and he says, be completely humbled. Ooh, I struggle with that. Because see, I can be a little humble here and there for a little while, right? I mean, we can do that. But to be completely humble, not interested. I don't want to be humble because I want you to be aware of my dynamic good looks and my amazing spirituality and my above average intelligence. I don't want to be humble. I want you to know that stuff. I have a long way to go before I am completely, before I'm halfway humble. And here's the frustrating thing about humility, and maybe you've experienced this. We work to be humble. We know God says, be humble. Paul says it here. 
And, and God sometimes chooses to humble us. And so we work and we strive and we submit. And there comes that moment when we think, I've got it. I'm humble. And then what happens? The moment you think you have it, you've lost it. The moment we say, I'm humble, <laughs> we no longer are. Gentle. Paul says be gentle. That's a hard one for us sometimes because um, sometimes we think of gentle as soft or weak or maybe sissy-ish, you know? But if, again, as Greek scholars, we do a word study, and you can do this in English too, by the way, you do a word study on gentle or meek. They're synonyms in Scripture. Uh, what you will see is that gentle, yeah, it does have some elements of mild or soft, but gentleness is absolutely not weakness. Gentleness is power under control. Jesus is described as gentle, but I would never describe Jesus as weak. Jesus is ultimate power, and it's under control. I saw a video, and this is kind of fuzzy because it's a capture from a, from a video, but there's these kids playing in the dirt along the street. They got their little Tonka toys, you know, and little baby backhoes and playing in the dirt. And along comes this ginormous backhoe, right, with the big arm that sticks out. And the guy driving it, he pulls over. And backhoes are powerful things, right? I mean, they tear up concrete. And with this backhoe, he comes over and just gentle as you please, comes over and he scoops up just a little bit of dirt and then he moves over three or four inches and he drops that dirt into this little itty-bitty back end of a dump truck. And I don't think he dropped a, a crumb, you know, of that dirt. I mean, it all went in there. And you think, I mean, look at this. This kid, he's got his hand on the scoop of the backhoe while this is happening. And that backhoe has so much power, it could have crushed those trucks. They're toys. Smushed them into oblivion. He could have scooped up a full load of dirt and just buried them over hundreds of pounds. And he could have knocked that kid flying. And he didn't. Because as powerful as that backhoe is, it's power under control. That, that, is biblical gentleness. And so how are you doing at being gentle? What example do you set as you engage with people who disagree with you and think you're wrong? Because it's easy to let loose and give them what for, right? I mean, just, blah. But that's not gentle. Are you power under control? And Paul says, you know, I want you to be patient. And I, just the image that comes to my mind when I think of patient is the opposite of it. It's like maybe you did this when you're in school. You're a little kid in grade school. You get the little Dixie cup and you fill it with dirt and you plant the seed, you know, knuckle deep and you water it and you put it on the windowsill. And by the end of the day, about half the kids have snuck back over to the thing and dug it up because they want to see if it's growing yet. I mean, that's the example to me of impatient but he says, don't be that way. Be patient. Because you know this. Living life means you will encounter people who are just slow 
and you want to get them out of the way, right? Hurry up, get out, I want to go, I got places to go. You will encounter difficult people and prideful people and suffering people and loud and ignorant people and just plain disagreeable people and you got to be around them. You can't just get away from them. And Paul says, be patient because some of these people are your Christian brothers and sisters. And, and I wonder, asking for a friend, could some of us be those difficult, slow, loud, obnoxious, just difficult to be around people? Not me, right? We want to say that. <laughs> Them. I don't know. How are you doing with being patient? And then Paul talks about, you know, bearing with each other. To bear with, it's that idea of, you know, you stand up against somebody and you, you, you hold them up. And it's an effort because they're pushing back against you. It's not necessarily working together. You're kind of, you know, at odds with one another, but you're holding them up. And it's hard work to do that. It's painful to do that. It takes time to do that. And our, our usual goal, though, is not to bear with, is it? Our usual goal is to say, no, I'm going to be one up on you. I'm going to show you where you're wrong and I'm right. I don't want to have to bear with you. Repent and come over to my side of whatever the situation is. Our goal is to show them the error of their ways. And and Paul doesn't just say, bear with. He says, bear with them in love. I hate that because sometimes I can bear with somebody, okay? You know, I, I, I deal with whatever it is, I bear with them, but then I go home to my wife and I sit down at the table and I go, phew, and I laugh and I scoff and I roll my eyes and I say, let me tell you who I had to bear with today. They did this and they said that and I just couldn't believe that they believe all of that stuff. They are so ignorant. They are so prejudiced. They are so impatient and unkind and messy and loud and destructive and so wrong. And I am a saint because I was able to bear with them. But how loving is that? I mean, really. Because when you love someone, you seek the best for them. You don't just wait till you can go to somebody else and say, do you? Or do we? How are you doing with bearing with one another in love? And, and here's, here's the hard thing, right? Could it be that there's someone out there who has to bear with you in love? Paul says to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. But the problem here is usually unity is not our goal, is it? Again, we want to win them over by hook or crook or what, we don't care. But I want to win. I want to show my superiority. I want to show my way is the best way, my brains or my strength or my whatever. And the bond of peace, what's that? Not interested. But Paul says make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity Don't just try once, and if it doesn't work, quit. I don't like that, because at most I want to try once. He says, if you're going to preserve this unity, and it ties back, he says, be humble, be gentle, be patient. 
keep yourself under control even when you just want to fly off the handle and let them have it. Love that person even when they don't deserve it because sometimes they don't. But love them anyway. Keep the peace. Maybe you've had this experience. You're in dialogue or just arguing with somebody and you come and you're ready and you've got your facts and figures and science and testimony and biblical verses and all of this sign stuff. Well, not that, that wouldn't fit here, I guess, actually. But you've got everything but your Bible lined up. And you're ready to convince them that they are wrong and you are right. And when you get all done, here's what they have to say. Yeah, but your sources are biased. Anybody ever heard that said to you? I have. Ever said it? I have. And so I decided, though, I'm going to look into this a little bit. What, what, what does this all mean? And so I looked up the definition of bias. And biased means the disproportionate weight in favor or, of or against an idea thing, usually in a way that's closed-minded, prejudicial, or unfair. Biases can be innate or learned, right? Sometimes we just kind of have them. And sometimes we pick them up from parents, friends, school, whoever. But simply put, we are not objective. None of us are. I learned about this this summer. All biased. And then here's something that makes it even more complicated. I learned about this this summer. There's this thing called confirmation bias. And that's going to be on the screen. Here it comes. There it is. It's the tendency to interpret any and all evidence as confirmation of what I already believe. So you can go to somebody and lay out all your stuff, drop the mic and say, think about that, and you're expecting them to go, you're right. And what they do is say, well, you just proved my point. <laughs> they don't agree with you. They just say, this is, this is argument in my favor. And the thing is, here's two things. One, we all have this. If you think about it, you'll see it in your life. You'll see it in others' life. We all have it, and we do it like that. We do it without, literally, without thinking. Somebody comes to us, lays out the evidence. We literally don't think about it. You're wrong. You're biased. I'm right. Without thinking. Like me, okay? I'm an Apple guy. I love everything Steve Jobs and his company created. It's amazing. It is superior by far to any other computer or software products. And so if you come to me and say, oh no, Dan, Dell is far superior, you tell me what you want, and my confirmation bias is going to say, well, yeah, you just made my point. Apple, good. Dell, bad. And I don't even have to think about it. We all suffer from it. Best example, I think, once again, I'm scrolling through Facebook, and you know how when you do this, you can, you, they have all these videos, and you can go through, and all these headlines that want to reach out and grab you and watch it. And so, um, well, and here's the side on Facebook. Um, for a while, I wondered if God had a Facebook account. And, and I wondered that because he never sent me a friend request. But then I realized, if God ever did, 
He had canceled his account years before I ever got on because of all the crap that's on there. But anyway, I just wonder that sometimes. But I came across this video on Facebook of, um, in, of, of well, here it comes. Have you ever seen these people? Kaylee Me- it was a White House press briefing. Kaylee McEnany is the press secretary for the president. Jim Acosta is this liberal um, uh, reporter, and there is no politeness lost between the two of them in these White House briefings. And this headline came up, and it said, Watch Kaylee McEnany destroy White House reporter. And so I thought, okay, I'll watch. And so I started it. And there, was no, there were no words, no subtitles, no commentary, no nothing. It was, and I don't even remember what the question was, but it was just Jim Acosta asks a question, and Kaylee McEnany responds. And I'm like, destroy? I missed it. But I'm like, not going to watch it again, so I go on. And I kid you not, you know how you see the, the, the videos, they go up, there's one after another, right? I see that video, there's one, there's two, and there's the next one. And it says, watch Jim Acosta own Kaylee McEnany. And I thought, oh, this has got to be good. And so I watched the video. It was the exact same video. No introduction, no subtitles, no commentary, no nothing. It was just his ask and her answer. The only difference between getting owned and getting crushed (laughs) was the headline. Watch her crush him, watch him own her, whichever it was, I don't know. But they, that plays to our confirmation bias. If we're a Republican and agree with everything that goes on on this side, well, of course she crushed him. It was obvious, wasn't it? If we're on his side and we don't like the, the Republicans, well, she, he owned her. She, she should have just quit and gone home. Only difference, the headlines. It's called confirmation bias, and we all suffer from it without thinking. And so now I've learned something. And that is, if somebody ever tries to tell me, well, yeah, your sources are biased, my response, yeah. And you think yours aren't? Because they are. And so are mine. What helps me understand this is that short little verse Bev read to us from Romans. And reminds us that we all need a dose of humility Because we have all sinned. (laughs) All of us. And we have all fallen short. And we continue to. We're all biased. None of us are objective. And, And again, you know the definition of all. Anybody need help with that? Okay. So all this gets me to wondering. How... What would it look like if instead of trying to crush or own somebody that I have my disagreements with, what would it look like if I tried to get to know them first or even just a little? You know, say, hey, I'll meet you at Das Bog after the service. I, I just want to talk to you. Tell me, tell me how you got where you are. I don't know you. So, so let's get to know each other. Tell me your story. And when they do, we go, and we just listen. Instead of trying to find all the places they're biased and all the places they're wrong and all the places they're being stupid. 
And when I've done this, and it's hard to do sometimes because sometimes you don't want to do it. That's what it feels like. But when I've been able to do it, I've been amazed at what I've learned from these people that I can disagree with. I start, and it's just start, but I start to get a glimmer of where they come from and why they are the way they are and why they believe the things they do without having to say that's right or wrong. I just, I just get their story. And I start to empathize with them a little bit and, and feel what they feel sometimes. And sometimes I've been able to, I, I've said, wow, that happened to me too. And we share that experience. And I discover that they are not stupid and they are not illogical and they are not fallen saints or vicious sinners or whatever. I don't suddenly agree with them and hop over on their side of the issue, but I understand where they're coming from. And sometimes I even make a new friend. Years ago, I read something from a pastor. He's in Kansas City, Kansas. His name's Adam Hamilton. And, and this isn't a word-for-word -word quote, but I read this, and he said something that kind of revolutionized the way I think about people that disagree with me, uh, particularly as other Christians. He said, there are people on each side of every issue who are educated, compassionate, committed followers of Jesus who want to follow Jesus, and they want to help others follow Jesus. They're not out to just be buttheads and disagree with you. And I wonder what would happen if we realized, I, I think that is so true. We've got our differences, but I think that's true. I wonder what would happen if we started treating each other as people who are compassionate and committed and educated, but we disagree on some things. And as we hear each other's story, we start to learn why. I wonder what it would look like if we understood that the moment we give our lives to Jesus, we surrender our right to give anybody a piece of our mind. Because as Christ followers, what are we supposed to have? We're supposed to have, next slide, here it comes, it's coming, the mind of Christ. That's what we're supposed to share. Not our own prejudices and biases and ignorances and pride and all of that stuff. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ. And so in part, what I think, what I think this means, and I, I may be, you know, we, we get on the keyboard because we, we read that post that we disagree with. We're like, I'm going to straighten them out. And we bang it out and we fire it off and we say, you know, let that sink in. No, we can't do that anymore because we have the mind of Christ. And that's what we share. I wonder what it would look like if instead of pointing out all the places where Christians and churches divide and separate and go away from each other, that we would start to be patient with each other and realize God is still working with all of us. None of us have arrived quite yet. But we would start to look for those ways where we agree and we can come together instead of be apart. That would go, I think, a long way towards preserving the unity of the Spirit. And I wonder what it would look like if we were patient and let God work with people on His time schedule instead of us demanding that they repent immediately and come over to our side now. And perhaps if we would look around and say, hmm, 
maybe God is looking to make an adjustment in my life. And thank you, God, that you're patient with me because I haven't been able to change instantly. I wonder what it would look like if we started to practice that thing where, you know, they say God gave us two ears and one mouth because he wants us to listen twice as much as we talk. I, that's a challenge. I wonder what it would look like if as Christians we were repentant and we confessed to God and to one another that we're proud and we're biased and we don't want to be. And so please be patient with me as I struggle to listen to you and see past my biases and my prejudices and my ignorance and take on the mind of Christ. I wonder what it would look like if as Christians we started, instead of criticizing everybody we disagree with, we would start to pray for them. And I don't mean to pray like, oh Lord, please let that poor uneducated schmuck see the error of his ways and believe as I do. That's, that's too easy. But pray and say, Lord, I confess I'm proud and I want people to see how great I am and I want them to see my way. And so, Lord, please convince all of us to see it your way because we're supposed to have your mindset. And in the meantime, God, I pray that I would be patient with them and that I would be gentle with them and I would go out of my way to preserve the unity of your spirit and be peaceful, that I would support them and that I would be humble. No matter how they respond to me, that's not the point. The point is how I respond. Because, Lord, I realize that it's just barely possible <laughs> that I might be raw. Raw. Mistaken. Right? See, Jesus has called us. He has saved us. And that he has left us in this world. This crazy, whacked out, imperfect, painful, contrary, uncertain, anxious world. He's left us here to bring his message of hope, to be his light and shine that for people who are feeling hopeless and angry and backed into a corner and all of that stuff because they don't know Jesus yet. And some of us struggle with that even as we know Jesus. But that's who he's called us to be. That's who he's sent us to be. And so let's make sure as we go through life that we don't unfollow Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your patience and for your forgiveness and for your gentleness, for your humility. And you shine that on us and we get to benefit from that. God, we confess that we we can be so proud and so snobby and stuck up and self-righteous. And we don't think we are. We think we're just right. And maybe we are, but, but that's not the way to act. And especially if we're wrong. And so, God, I pray that we would have 
the mind of Christ. And that as you are patient with us, we would be patient with others. As you are gentle with us, we would be gentle with others. As you project humility and grace, that we would project humility and grace. That we would listen. And that we would love, even when they don't deserve it, because really, we don't either, but you love us anyway. And so, God, thank you for your forgiveness and your light of Jesus. God, may we never, may we never, even for a moment, unfollow you. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.